Today's gospel lesson comes from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. The final parable of our series. As I hinted on our bulletins, I saved the hardest one for last. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. Jesus said, Now in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for anybody. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while, the judge refused. But later, the judge said to himself, Though I have no fear of God, and I don't respect anybody, yet because this lady keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, just so that she may not wear me out by continually annoying me. And the Lord Jesus said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, Jesus asked, When the Son of Man comes, will he find any faith? on earth. We all have a favorite Jesus saying. Mine is a parable that's too short to get a whole sermon out of, maybe. Jesus says, if you have faith, it's a tiny amount, you can tell this tree to be uprooted and planted in the ocean. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, may be an honor and a glory to you. Amen. So perseverance in prayer. Jesus uses an example of a wicked judge to drive the point home. It's a very simple story. A judge can't be bothered. He's rich, whatever. And the little widow comes and bugs him enough that he just does it. Jesus says, you know, if you can harass even evil men into doing things, what about a loving God? A God who really cares. Won't he hurry and rush to do it? But we all know what's going on in the back of our heads. We know that, well, who do we think the cruel judge is? The one that counts all these sins against us. The one that we spend the nights calling out to. We have that spirit of Cain deep inside each and every one of us. We see our brother blessed, and the first thing that stabs us in the heart is, why not me? So Jesus doubles down on this parable. This widow has no status. She's got no power. If she died and ended up in a gutter in first century Judea, no one would care. This judge is powerful. If he gets murdered or something, they'll burn down the town. When he dies, they'll go out and hire little old ladies to wail and mourn just because he's so darn important. God, Jesus is here saying, that's the man that gets worn out. And you may think God is unjust. So what of it? Wear him out. With his omnipotence, he can't drown out the din. So Jesus, when he talks about persevering in prayer, wants us to stretch our faith. There's no two ways around it. We have a church. We have a religion 
that in the last hundred years has boiled down to basic level faith. We have great evangelists that go around trying to convert everybody and give them all a Jesus card. Well, evangelizing is planting. But the scripture tells us one plants, one waters, one harvests. And Jesus constantly throughout the Gospels is saying, God is a vine tender who wants fruit. He's not taking care of a bunch of trees to get a bunch of leaves. The Bible talks about repentance. It talks about transformation. I don't look it up to have this statistic on hand, but it doesn't really talk about conversion at all. You've got sheep and you've got goats, but it's the sheep that hear the call. Jesus' call here is always to those that are already God's children to have some faith, to step up, and to bear some fruit. Which gets hard, because we all know what faith is. It's that virtue on every Hallmark movie. It's blind, it doesn't see. See, faith is trust. Faith is trust at the very least that the wicked judge can do something about it. It's at least knowing in the bureaucracy where to file the form. You don't see where it goes. You don't see everyone rubber stamping it. But faith is that it will eventually get to the proper desk. When we are praying and we do not get an answer, doesn't it just feel like the heavenly bureaucracy is rubber stamping everything that we send up? But the question comes, do we really trust God here? There's no sugarcoating. I, I can't give you a really great example on it. It's just that's what it comes down to. God tarries as long as it takes for him to work out his purpose. Now, Jesus in the scripture today says, God speedily avenges. You may think he's a wicked judge. You may think all these bad things about him. But no, all that love stuff is true. And he's really working at it. But scripture says that God will not deny his children any good thing. He knows what's good for us and he knows what's bad for us. And Jesus has this really annoying tendency. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. When God talks about he's willing to give you any good thing, he knows what's good. Now this relates to what I already said. We have this conversion narrative where we fit everyone into this shoehorn pattern where I'm a sinner, now I have to feel bad about it, and I get forgiven, and yay, I feel great. Not everyone comes to God that way. I'll give you my own example. I come to God by contemplating just how great he is. I love the idea of him, and I love the reality of him even more. I'd be a very happy little Orthodox monk sitting on top of a pole somewhere in Egypt or Azerbaijan. See, Jesus says, the kingdom is within you. So you have to seek this kingdom of God. You realize you're a sinner and you're outside of it, come into it. You realize that that kingdom is within you, search it out. And in all of our prayers, that's the good thing. Because being the philosophical type, I can crack down and go stare into abysses that would depress most people. Give me any good. This is Thanksgiving. It's material. We have Christmas coming up. Get any present you want. Are you satisfied with it? Does it really feel great after 10, 20 minutes? After two years, do you even remember what you got for Christmas last time? 
and think about all these things that we think are so darn important. Oh, we're protected by hats and planes. Till some guy turns a key and hits a button. This world is always perishing. And God knows that. He came to save it. But he's saving it through his kingdom. He's saving it through the death and resurrection of his son. So perseverance in prayer means all that cross junk that we don't want to deal with. So we just got to pray till that kingdom starts to come inside us. And the worst thing is, we can't do it ourselves. There is nothing in here. There is no spiritual journey here as far as the human side is concerned. We have to get better at prayer. We have to preserve in prayer, but we can't do anything to make it any better. That's why Jesus says, don't be like the pagans who try to come up with fancy ways of praying it. We get a false impression of praying, and one of the things that makes it so hard is you see Mr. Pastor up here rattle off some really cool phrase. It doesn't matter. The Spirit, Paul says, prays for us with inaudible groanings. We don't even speak God's language. His way of thinking isn't our way. His way is much higher than ours. And it doesn't matter if we call God God, Lord, Daddy. The only thing he cares is that you know the name Jesus. Now, the best we ever can do is get out of our own way. And that's one of the biggest lessons here. We have to persevere in prayer, and it's not even us. But we can go too far when it comes to prayer on some things. We can get in our way over one thing that will always defeat anyone who's trying to persevere in prayer. We have the statement in the Lord's Prayer. We just said it right now. Thy will be done. Yes, that is a petition for God's will to be done over all creation and for all men to come and live within the will of God, which is the best thing for them. Because remember, he's all-knowing, he's all-benevolent. If there's any single person we in the church should want to trust with making everyone happy, it's actually God. So that's what we pray. But when we come to something where the metal hits the meat, when we come to something that's pain and suffering, and God gives us a God-sized task because he's looking to solve it himself, well, he tells us what his will is. God wills the sanctification of all men. That's fancy words for when Jesus became flesh, there wasn't a difference when he told that beggar, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. And if the Jews of Jesus' day, they couldn't accept your sins are forgiven. They had no problem with miracles. They had seen plenty of prophets. But the idea that the spiritual side could be healed was radical. That's what they killed him for. Well, I'm here to tell you that in good old Gnostic U.S. of A., we can't handle the other side. Get up and walk. That's what we'd kill you for. That's what we can't believe. But God says throughout his Bible over and over again, his will is to give us provision. We're to ask for our daily bread. And his will is to give us health and healing and all sorts of good things. We just plain don't believe him. Just plain don't believe the Bible. There's no shame in telling God you don't believe him when it's true. You ain't going to lie your way out of this one. Because again, it doesn't come from us. We can't force ourselves to believe. That's the mistake of the name it, claim it. It's not that they believe that God's actually going to 
heal somebody. It's that they think that by putting their emotions into it, they'll cause it to come into effect. It has nothing to do with us. Now, this is hard. Faith has to abandon its side. You guys can go online and type into the Google Pater and see on the interwebs. Statistics. Faith doesn't answer. So what of it? You may be sick and you may be praying and your symptoms may get worse. You have to abandon your side of it. And I know the spirit that pops up in the chest. I'm a pastor. I have to see people that are not in good positions. And the question comes up, if I pray for this person and I ask God to heal them, I have no power in myself. It never rests on me. Am I giving them false hope? I can tell you, if that person were to pass that night, die of that disease, into whose hands and into which hope would we throw them? If we cannot trust God to redeem the spirit, we cannot trust him to at times heal a body as he has made it clear in his will, and there's all sorts of stipulations and whatnot that I don't want to get into today, are we ever going to trust in him to be the resurrection and the life? If we're not willing to say, hey, Lord, we as your church are going to pray for this person who's sick because you told us to and we figure you can do it even if it don't look like you can, how can we stand up here on a funeral and say, this guy is dead and he has any hope whatsoever? See, that's what I'm talking about with that deep abyss and everything passing away and that kingdom of God. Because Lazarus died twice. If you go to where the Coptics have the statue for his grave, it says Lazarus twice dead. No matter any healing, any prayer answer, anything, we come up to the fact that it eventually runs out. This side of God coming back. Can't add anything to that. That requires perseverance. We know the world's bad. We're not going to be able to fix it till Jesus comes back. He says that over and over and over again. And that's what happens when you take it to the ultimate final point. Prayer is working towards that final point. It's bearing fruit and it's bringing it forward. But it's not any different from the most baseline confession, I believe in you. And perseverance is also nasty. Because what about that prayer that stops the one time short? Elijah prays seven times and he gets rained. What happens if you stop? Six. <sighs> and so often the struggle is just to pray. Don't know what to say. Don't know what I'm feeling like. Lord, I've prayed for this thing 20 million times and I don't know. I don't even know what this person needs. But the truth is with prayer, you can be bad or you can be good and there is no middle. You can work at it, succeed, and fight the stupid thing out with perseverance. And it's just stubborn-headedness, or you cannot. The theologian of yesteryear, Andrew Murray, says it's just like business. Some folks become CEOs and become billionaires, and they're Steve Jobs found in Microsoft or whatever. Other people, they're just straight in the middle. If they get lucky, they subsist well, but they never succeed, they never thrive. And with prayer, we're the same way. If you're gonna be bad at prayer, you will just subsist. Your Christian life will be drop kicking you through the pearly gates, and that's being charitable. 
Yes, God can run a skid landing into the Hudson Bay with your spiritual life. Or you can succeed and you can push it and you can be that one in a million saint. We're going to talk next week on what it means that God loves you and how it is very personal despite the fact that personal love rests behind all his sovereignty. But the faith in the very first swing or the very first prayer in that long chain of perseverance often decides it. There's really nothing else you can do. It's when the lady first set out to budge to bug that judge and said, I will not rest till this is done. It rested on the first time she bugged him. That's when she got it. And that's what it means when faith says you receive it even though you haven't got it yet. Act like you already receive it. That's when faith says I have prevailed. That's when Jacob grabs the angel and says I will not let go till you bless me. His initial hold Probably a half super. That's what did it. But Jesus asked, will I find faith? This is the one parable that he just completely, I'm throwing it out there. This is how it is. He doesn't, it's not hard to understand. He's not couching any of it. He just asks, will I find any of this faith? Because he see, and we see how bad it is. We look at the church today, does it have faith in anything? It doesn't even follow the moral rules half the time. We talk about love of neighbor, and we're hating our neighbor for having their Christmas lights up a week past when they really should. How are we ever going to do any of this prayer stuff? And we invent theology to keep this away. There's all sorts of schools of theology that say, you can't pray and actually expect God to do that. He stopped that with the apostles. Well, let me give you this. Let's just play Martin Luther for a second. What verse are you quoting? You're just quoting the fact you've never seen it. The only verse you're quoting when you're saying God ain't going to do anything is Jesus asking, will the son of man find faith when he comes to earth? That's all you're resting it on. And you're telling him no. But my friends, if a doctor gives you medicine to cure you, you'll take it quick as you can. But what if a doctor gave you the medicine and you stuck it right on the nightstand and you refused to take it? Do you not deserve to suffer for such spiritual slop? So I have a challenge that ties all this up. The problem is you can't do anything to stir this one. It's flipping. It's faith. There's really, again, the first swing is the only one that does it. It's why I started with that story of the tree. God is whimsical. He invented laughing and prayer and all these good things. And the reason he wants to berate us on prayer is because... We're not saved to be saved. We're saved to worship. And worship isn't some big divine ego stroking. Worship is reflecting the glory of God. And humans do that when they laugh, when they play, when they parent, when they work, when they invent things. That's what God is calling us into doing, to worship. And as the ultimate creation on this particular planet... God has given us prayer as the ultimate form of worship. So I always have a tree. won't tell you which one till it actually happens, and I'm sure it will someday. And I tell that tree to get up and get planted in the sea 
because it would be absolutely hilarious for it to move into the Hamptons. <laughs> and you may think that, well, yeah, that's a weird spiritual discipline. But I actually suggest it. Pick a mountain, pick a tree, and try to move it. You'll be amazed how quickly that tree or mountain... Yeah, it feels really stupid telling a tree to get in it. But the first thing that pops in your head is, is, is it just that I don't believe it and God's not going to move a tree? Did he really say what he meant? And it works and it gets in there. And soon you find out that that tree isn't really a tree. And where you want it to move isn't really the Hamptons. But you'll find that that laughter and that joy that you decide, that's what you're really after. You're after something a little more permanent than a serotonin hit. God's not necessarily, with the exception of Easter, too into the told-you-so kind of stuff. But he's still got a sense of humor. And nothing makes him happier than when people get done with sin. See, God doesn't sin, and he's perfectly free. Every decision he makes is great, and he wants that for all of his children. We're going right or left isn't a moral quandary. They're both successful. Where pick whatever you want on the menu, every option is heart healthy. He wants to make all things new. And he wants us to pray till that is so. And we will wait and creation will groan till that is so. But it's that first swing. If the tree doesn't move, we'll see. One of these days, there'll be a tree in the Hamptons. Even if I got to get a crane and move it, it still counts. Because <laughs> God creates cranes. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we have a lot of trees and we have a lot of mountains in our own hearts, in the hearts of others, in our community, in our churches, among other faiths. We just can't get them to move. And Lord, we often doubt that you ever will. They're rooted, they're heavy. We can't move them even with dynamite. Lord, we pray constantly to you as a creator. We worship, we praise, and it all seems vain. Lord, I pray that you would teach our hearts to persevere, that we would learn what it means to be importunate, that we would not give you any rest that you would teach us what that means to our heart in multiple ways. But Lord, I know deep down inside you have already given us what we petition. The mountain is already moved and the tree is already in the sea. You have torn down the roots of evil in our hearts, in our minds, and our communities. Many have gone through and sown. Many have watered. Lord, equip us for the harvest. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.